God is great, isn't he? Fantastic to be together with you again. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, whether you brought one with you, you got one on your device, whatever you got. We'll also have some the, the verses on the screen as well. Find the book of Genesis. Find the book of Genesis and find chapter 4. We've been working our way uh, section by section, chapter by chapter through this book that does proclaim how great God is. And looking together, building a foundation from Genesis. And we'll look at Genesis chapter 4. This is probably, if you've been raised in church or been in church much at all, you'll probably be familiar with this account of Cain and Abel. So I'm going to read the chapter, and then we're going to look at it uh, together this morning. Genesis chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Word of God says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord said, Put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Enoch was born Erad, and Erad father, fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael followed, fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zilhah. Ada bored Jubal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who play the lyre and pipe. Zil Zilhah also bore Tubal-Cain, who was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namha. Lamech said to his wife, 
his, his wives. Ada and Zilha, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Who here has ever heard their parents speak about the good old days? And now some of us are getting up in years where we're starting to say that and going, who is that coming out of my mouth, right? That sounds just like dad or just like mom. We are so tempted to idealize the past when we compare it to the future, and we're so tempted to idealize the future, aren't we? This unknown ahead of us that, well, the future's just got to be better than it is now. And yet, the men in our text this morning are truly the only people who heard the true good old day stories. Adam and Eve grew up not just with any parents, or at Cain and Abel, sorry, grew up not just with any parents, they grew up with Adam and Eve, with their mom and dad living in the world prior to the entrance of sin and death and brokenness. They could truly hear the stories from them about the good old days. And rather than making Eden sound better than it was, I bet you Adam and Eve actually struggled to get words around what life in the garden with God must have been like. And after being exiled from the garden, we've seen this. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 show the creation of the world and the creation of man in peace with God. Last week we saw in Genesis 3 how man's sin and his running from God has exiled them out of the garden and has caused the world and all that is to be corrupted by sin. And as they are exiled out of the garden, what do Adam and Eve do? They start a family. They start a family, and God had always desired a family for them. Consider Genesis chapter 1, you'll remember, they were commanded to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so that's what they begin to do. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain's name means to get. And they didn't stop there. In a theme you'll see again and again in, in the book of Genesis, there's a second brother born. Verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And both brothers, as you would expect, chose very different career paths. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. It's interesting that if you remember in Genesis 2.15, when Adam was created, he was created to work and to keep, wasn't he? And now his sons almost divide these duties among them, Abel being the one who keeps the sheep, and Cain being the one who works the ground. And Genesis almost stops and focuses in on these brothers' relationship here. And there is something we're supposed to see. There's a contrast, a comparison that we're supposed to see here. And you'll see this in your notes, that this text brings us face-to-face -face with four things. And we'll look at these each in turn, but two sacrifices, two lifestyles, two responses, and two legacies. We'll look at each of these in turn. First, notice the two sacrifices. The two sacrifices. 
Notice verse 3 to 5. Look what happens. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So both brothers go to worship, and they offer these sacrifices. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 3, the, the, the chapter closed with God clothing Adam and Eve. And it's clear from that text that for God to clothe them in garments, in any sort of garment, he would have had to have killed or sacrificed an animal to do it. There had to be an animal that was sacrificed. And so Adam and Eve had taught this to Cain and Abel because they learned it from God. Cain and Abel learned this from their parents who learned it from God. And as we see in the text, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was rejected. Notice the passage again. This is important. Both of them gave out of their work. Cain gave out of the ground he worked and Abel from the sheep he kept But notice Abel gave the firstborn of his flock. Cain, it doesn't really tell us everything he gave, so I think we can infer pretty clearly. He just gave a general offering. The size of the sacrifice, though, wasn't the ultimate issue. The posture of their hearts was. Friends, Abel sought to sacrifice. Cain sought to appease. Abel displayed faith in his sacrifice Cain displayed falsity. Before we get so hard on Cain, Cain was doing this simply. He's like, man, I just want to keep God happy with me. I just want to do this because I'm supposed to. My parents drug me here. I've got to do this. And before we're too hard on Cain, how many of us think that a small hour service a week, we come and we're like, man, I'm just going just to keep God happy or to keep my my parents off my back, or man, my wife or my husband will leave me alone about this. This is exactly what Cain did. Cain was okay with a little bit of religion as long as it didn't make him give up much. But Abel was willing by faith not to just give a sacrifice, but to live as one. We'll see that Abel had a righteous life. He sought to live a life of sacrifice to God, but Cain was hardly willing to even give one. So we need to ask ourselves, as we come face to face, are we more like Abel or are we more like Cain? Do we, when, when it comes to our posture toward God, are we doing things just to sort of think that we're keeping God happy or to keep people off our back? Or are we doing it because we love God? Because we desire to please him and to live for him. Underneath these two sacrifices was ultimately two lifestyles. Two lifestyles. That's your second point. Two sacrifices and two lifestyles. Do you notice in this text, it's super interesting to me, as I was looking at it, the text talks almost entirely about Cain. Abel really doesn't get a ton of attention, does he? We don't really hear a lot about what Abel's life is like. And I want to tell you that this is often how faithful, godly living is. Faithful, godly living may not get you the spotlight and it may not get you noticed Whereas the way of Cain was a pathway to the front page of the paper and a spot on the evening news, but not for something he wanted to be there for. Cain was angry over this whole sacrifice thing. And look what happens. Look what, look what he says in verse 6. 
Look what happens. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Ultimately, there was a sin issue in the life of Cain that no one knew about. There was anger, jealousy, hatred, deep down in Cain's heart, and it seemed as if Adam and Eve didn't know about it. Abel may not have even known about it, but friends, God knew. And let me speak just just as a pastor, I have seen dozens and dozens of folks who can attend church regularly, give uh, extravagantly out of their wallets and their times, even lead Bible studies and be leaders in the body and yet have an ongoing abiding sin issue that eventually destroys their life. Causes them to act in a grievous and destructive way. And I would say, friends, if there is something in your life that you're keeping deep, deep dark and hidden in the darkness, the Bible would say, come into the light and be free to confess these sins to one another and to find healing, hope, and accountability. Because Cain is a lesson in what happens when we keep silent about our sin. Eventually, that sin will crop up and it will shout out of us one way or another. Sin will never keep silent in your life. Look what happens with Cain, verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and they went into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's hatred and jealousy and pride built and built and built and built, and it came to head in this moment. And friends, I would even venture, it wasn't simply a burst of emotion either. This was cold and calculated. Cain knew what he was doing. Notice that Cain had the opportunity He brought him into this far field. doesn't seem like there's anybody else around. This this term rose up, which is used here as a word of aggressive and intentional force. And I want you to imagine, Cain didn't have a gun. We don't know if he had a tool. We don't know if he used a rock. We don't know if he used his bare hands. But regardless, consider the incredible force that would have had to be used by him to murder Cain, to murder Abel there in the field. And when confronted, look at this. Look what happens. Verse 9, the Lord confronts him. Look at this. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? There's two parts to this. Look, first, God comes to him and says, where is your brother? And he lies, straight up. He says, I don't know where he is. Cain knew exactly where he was and what had happened to him. Cain knew exactly what he was doing. But I think the next thing is far more sinister. He asks, am I my brother's keeper? What a sinister question. If you remember verse 2, Abel was a keeper of sheep. And now Cain's going, am I the keeper's keeper? Am I the shepherd's shepherd? Am I supposed to be responsible for him? He pushes all blame and responsibility off of himself. And this is the fruit of sin in the life of Cain. And friends, let me bring this home to us because there's so many of us that think, well, I would never have gotten caught up in a sin so much that I would do something so grievous. 
whatever foothold may be in your life, hatred and envy, lust and pornography, covetousness and greed, where these sins are giving full growth, they will, one, wreck your life, but even more than that, friends, they may destroy you for eternity. If left unrepentant, they will be met with a curse from God. Just as, just as Abel was cursed in this life, you may be met with God's judgment in this life and the next. Look what happens here as now God gives two responses. God gives two responses. We've seen two sacrifices, two lifestyles, and now two responses. First, God curses Cain. Verse 10. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Friends, see, this sin brings a curse to all of us, whether in this life or apart from the intervention of the grace of God, for all of the next. But God, because God heard the cries of Abel, He says it cried out from the ground, which was the place that Cain worked. God cursed the ground that Cain would work on. And if you remember Genesis 3, the ground was already cursed, wasn't it? That when Adam and Eve sinned, the, the whole of creation was cursed, except now Cain's work wouldn't just be difficult. He says it's also going to be unfruitful. He's going to live as a wanderer in the wilderness. And notice that God echoes the exact same phrase he used to the serpent last week. Cursed are you from the ground. He gave the exact same cursing to to the devil last week in light of his tempting Adam and Eve. And here I think Moses and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is telling us something. He's connecting some dots If you remember last week, and you can turn back in your Bible and look at this, in in Genesis 3.15, we saw last week that that there was going to be enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the serpent's offspring or seed and the woman's seed or offspring. And here I think we see what this means. You kind of go to it and you're like, how does the serpent have offspring? How does this work? And and he, he tells us here with Cain. What this is, is it's people who are going to follow the way and the pattern of the serpent. There are going to be people who will stand opposed to God and against God and seek to live their life without God. And he says they are going to be at enmity, at war with those. And they may even put to death those who seek to give God the rightful place in their life. The seed of the serpent will war against the seed of the woman. And Cain and Abel are the first of many examples of this throughout the Bible. But friends, there's two responses from God here. God doesn't just curse Cain. He could have just killed him on the spot. He could have just killed him on the spot, and he could have given him even a much worse fate, but he didn't. He spared Cain, didn't he? Look in verse 15. After after Cain says, whoever will find me will kill me, look what the Lord said. 
Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in Nod, which just means wilderness or a wandering east of Eden. Notice that God put a mark or a sign on Cain. And he promises from this sign or mark to protect him and to avenge him if anyone should seek to harm him. Here, God takes revenge out of our hands and causes it and calls it to flee from our hearts. Friends, the Lord says that mankind is not the avenger, I am. And friends, it should be a comfort to us to know that while there may be murders that we have never solved in this life, friends, God never has an unsolved murder. He knows exactly who was there and what they did, and he's the one who will bring justice on the earth. He hears the cries of Abel, and to any others who have experienced injustice, he's heard their cries, and he will bring perfect justice. No matter how much you want it, friends, you've got to let revenge go. To quote Romans 12, it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, which means it's not yours. Next, you see that there's this mark put on Cain, and there's actually a pretty disgusting history behind this whole mark of Cain thing. If you know much about it, some of you who may be older may have grown up in churches where you've been taught some really, really warped things about this. In fact, you can go read history of people who defended uh, slavery and practices like that using the mark of Cain. And let me be clear here. Let me be abundantly clear. The Bible makes no room for racism or prejudice against people based on the color of their skin or anything else. The Bible's clear about that. And those who have used the mark of Cain and the past as a defense for these things were not only completely incorrect in the text, but also sinful in their motives. In fact, this mark wasn't a negative thing at all. This mark was something that protected Cain this wasn't, a, this wasn't part of the curse. This was part of God's mercy on Cain. And the term mark is actually the word sign that's used in Genesis 1 to refer to the, the sun and the moon as things that are signs for the day and the night. It's used in Genesis 9 for the rainbow, which is a sign of God's love. And it's in chapter 17 of Genesis, it's used as a sign of circumcision, which was a mark of Abraham's relationship to God. This wasn't a negative mark that was going to curse all those who came after Cain. This was God's mercy to mark him and put a sign on him that he's going to protect him and avenge him. I don't know what this sign looked like. I don't know if he got some rad tattoo on his arm or what it was. I have no idea. But what I do know is that this mark kept him safe and was a pledge of God's loving kindness and protection. Nothing to do with some wild prejudice that people may have in their hearts. So get that out of your mind when you hear the mark of Cain and hear God had mercy on a sinner and protected him and guarded him. God had two responses to Cain, both judgment and mercy, cursing and sparing him. And Cain settled in Nod and began a family. And the text closes by presenting two legacies. Two legacies. You've seen two sacrifices, two lifestyles. You've seen two responses. And now two legacies. Verse 17. 
Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And you see from verse 17 onward, there's a gene, what's called a genealogy. In chapter 5, it's just a sort of a, a, a family tree listing down the generations that would come after Cain. And chapter 5, which we'll look at next week, has a very detailed um, has a very detailed genealogy going through the line of Seth. But you see both of these genealogies here, and they're here, I think, to show a contrast. But I want you to look here at Cain's legacy. Who came after Cain and through his line? Look at this. There's some very interesting stuff here. Look at verse 18. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Please, if you're looking for baby names, here they are, right? And Lamech took two wives, the name of one, Ada, the name of other, Zillah, Ada bore Jabal, and the father of those, who was the father of those who dwelled in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah was also bore Tubal-Cain, and he was the forger of all the instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was, was Nama, or Nama. And we've seen that Lamech followed right in Cain's footsteps. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Look at this family tree. What a get-together this might have been. For, for when all of the line of Cain got together. Lamech brought two of his wives, would have brought two of his wives with him. Jebel's tribe, they were the tent dwellers. Jubal's children were forging instruments and playing music. Tubal canes were the ones who, who were making tools. And to many of us, we look at this and think, you know, this is kind of an incredible legacy. But did you notice there was something missing? Someone in particular was missing. Where was God? Friends, these people had all kinds of worldly success, but they had no, but they did not have God. They had everything you could imagine. They had inventors, musicians, a city built named after Enoch. And friends, they, but they didn't have God. Notice that in this short genealogy, I think there's two things displayed. First, I think, it, he was, I think Moses and the Holy Spirit were responding to cultures around them who believed that the cities and the music that they had and the tools they had came from the gods, that these things were divine. And what this text is telling us is that, hey, these things were human inventions. Cities and music and tools and all these things are good, but they weren't things that God himself had handed down to them. These were things that were of human origin, but... Notice the escalation that sort of happens here. I think that's the second thing to notice. There's an escalation, particularly with Lamech. We see him not only marrying two wives, which was definitely a no-no, but then proclaiming over them how big and bad he is. He wants them to know 
how, how big and bad at least he thinks he is. And he says that if God would avenge Cain sevenfold, that, that he would be avenged 77-fold. He says, look at how big, you think Cain was big? Look at me. Look at how big and awesome I am. And both his plural marriage and his boasting here, I think, live out what Genesis 3 uh, 17 talks about, or what Genesis 3, 16 talks about, where it says that because of sin, men would abdicate our responsibilities and rule over our wives in an abusive and degrading way. This is Genesis three sixteen lived out. This is not something, this is not good godly husbanding that Cain is doing. This is sinful, this is wicked and rather than rule them kindly and, and love them the way God would with kindness and patience, friends, he, lo- he lived with his wives with wickedness and boasting and arrogance. The men in Cain's line made names for themselves, but not for things that truly mattered. And yet, friends, Abel had no family, no line to come after him, We don't hear anything else about children that came from him, and yet he is remembered for his faith. You can write a few of these references down. Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, describes Abel as the first martyr who was righteous before God. You'll see this on the screen, Hebrews 11, 4. Hebrews 11 looks back at the Old Testament faithful, and look what he says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Notice he says, Abel died a terrible, horrible death. And yet he says, look to his faith as an example. Look to him. He didn't have the worldly success Cain and his line might have had. But friends, look to him as an example. But Cain is remembered differently. Cain is remembered differently. I have this as your memory verse in your notes for the week because if you could sum up everything we're learning here, 1 John 3.12 is excellent. If you want to look at this, look, he says, we should not be like Cain. Pretty straightforward, right? Who was, the, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Jude described the false teachers of his day, and he says, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Bad characters and bad company. Friends, Abel lost his life but left a legacy for us to emulate. Cain lived a full life but left a legacy for us to avoid. And friends, we need to search our heart and seek the Lord. What are we living for? What are we living for? Are the seeds of Cain's likeness in our hearts and lives? Do we really only care about ourselves? Do we, do we shift blame rather than own it? Are we mindful of our brothers and our sisters' needs and struggles Do we understand and have we embraced that in some sense you are your brother's keeper? But if that's where it ended, friends, this would be a tragedy. If there wasn't a whole rest of your Bible after this, this would be a very sad story indeed. 
Because the world's fallen into sin and the world's been fractured by transgression. But friends, even in the midst of that, there was a glimmer of hope. Genesis 3.15, again, that we looked at last week is such a central verse in the Bible because it promises that Eve, a child that would come through Eve, would eventually crush the serpent. And yet Eve had probably thought, my child, who's supposed to crush this serpent, just acted like the serpent and deceived his brother and put him to death. How could this promise ever be fulfilled? And it's because, friends, God wasn't done yet. The line would continue through Seth. Did you notice how the account ended? Verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For he said, God has appointed, that's where the name Seth comes from, appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And it was through Seth and his family that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Of the Lord, that the promise could continue. And even if it appeared that the serpent and his seed had won, friends, the darkness had covered all the light. Friends, God wasn't done. God would continue his promise. See, the offspring that God would send wasn't going to be Abel, it wasn't even going to be Seth, but he would be like Abel. He would be very much like Abel. Because Abel isn't the only shepherd who was brutally put to death by people close to him. Who else was put to... Who, what other shepherd has been put to death by people close to him but the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who came on the scene. Jesus Christ came on the scene. And look what he said. He said, John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd. And the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He would have his life taken from him, both by the hands of sinful men, but he also says, I lay it down on my own accord. He says, I do this because he answered yes to the question, am I my brother's keeper? Cain said, absolutely not. Jesus said, yes, yes, yes. So the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came down and he made our problem, his problem so much that he took on flesh, lived in this world, suffered and died and was buried and rose again from the dead to conquer sin, death, hell, and to crush the serpent. He made our sin problem his problem. And he did it by spilling his blood in a field between two thieves. And just as Abel's blood speaks, friends, Jesus' blood speaks. And Hebrews 12 tells us it speaks a better word. It speaks a word of forgiveness for sinners. It speaks a word of reconciliation to those who are lost. It says, come home. It gives a word of hope to the hopeless. The blood of Jesus cries out to the Father, Lord, forgive them. And forgiveness was available for Cain. And friends, it's available for you. Because I don't want to get you the idea that Seth's family was all that much better than Cain's in terms of their sin. Their sin was different. But friends, they needed a Savior too. That's why they called upon the name of the Lord. They found that God draws near to those who draw near to Him. 
They found that God could handle messy people because, hear me, those are the only kind of people that exist. There ain't nobody out there who isn't messy. And they discovered that God justifies. That's the Bible's word for set right, restore, bring into relationship that God justifies the ungodly. Which means to even begin to take a step toward God, you have to begin with the confession that I am ungodly, that I'm a sinner, that I can't come to him on my own. And it's only then that you can begin to see the beauty that God saves sinners, that God saves people who have run from him, who cannot earn it, who couldn't help ourselves along with it, but simply proclaim nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling Adam and Eve in Seth's line looked forward to the day that Genesis 3.15 would be accomplished. And we now, on this side of the cross, look back now and see our serpent-crushing Savior, Jesus, has come. He's lived for us, he's died for us, and he's risen again, and he's coming back one day for us. And we look forward with eager expectation for the day he completes his work in the world And the text brings us face to face with a contrast. Two sacrifices, two lifestyles, two responses, two legacies, and it places a question in your lap. There are two ways to live. And which way will you live? Will you flee to Christ while he may be found and find in him forgiveness and mercy and freedom just as we celebrated this morning? Or will you walk in the way of Cain thinking, I'm not going to take ownership for what I do. I'm going to pass the responsibility off. I don't care about anybody but myself and living my way. The attitude of sin is ultimately found in that Frank Sinatra song that I'm actually a fan of the song, but have you ever heard him sing, I did it my way? Friends, that's the celebration that, that, that the heart of sin celebrates, is that we would get the glory for everything. There's the way of Cain, which was the way of the serpent, but there was the way of Abel, which was not a way to ease and comfort in the short term. But friends, it was met with a heavenly welcome. And friends, if you have never trusted in Jesus, I would call you today to look to him in faith and find him to be able to forgive all of your sins, past, present, future, whatever they are. He stands ready to forgive you and change you just as we've celebrated with baptism and with so many others. And if you want to talk more about that, you can contact me or whoever brought you here, and we would love to talk with you more about what it means to know Jesus. But it's also a call for those of us who know him to continuously look to him and to share the word of God with our families, to pass it down through the legacy, and to share it with others that we have a shepherd, a good shepherd, who has come and who has laid down his life to ransom sheep for himself. And may we, by grace through faith, follow the path of the first shepherd, Abel, and our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so good. We're thankful for your kindness to us. We're thankful that you have loved us and given us your your words as a, a good word, an eternal comfort through your Son. I pray that if there's anybody here today who does not know you, that you would 
reveal their sin to them and cause them to run to you. That if there are believers here hiding in darkness and clinging to sin the way Cain does, that you would prompt their hearts to confess their sin to someone they trust to hear and find forgiveness in their confession because by confessing to another, they're confessing to you and being honest with themselves and with you. Because we know that your word says that blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. So, Lord, we ask that, that you would bring us into the light of your word and the light of your holiness and the light of your goodness. Lord, draw us to yourself, whether we've known you or draw us afresh to yourself if we don't, if we, if we do know you and, and draw those who don't as well. And we ask that you would be honored and glorified as we sing to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's respond, family, with how awesome. We're going to sing that new song, just the verse, the pre-chorus and the chorus. He fights for us. We don't have to walk this by ourselves. Thank you, Matt, for that word. I am very, very comforted to know that we're all messes. Okay? I'm very comforted to know that we are all on the same playing field. We're all together. And to be um, aware that it's not by our strength that we're going to get through those waters. It's his might, his strength. So let's respond with that. Lord, we love you. And we're going to respond to what's the truth. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release oh Yahweh you're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory hallelujah hallelujah you have torn apart the sea you have led me through the deep hallelujah Hallelujah. You're the God. One more time. You're the God who fights for me. Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. so good God you are so good Lord thank you thank you that in your word when you were speaking to the Israelites we are covered under that because you used the word redeemed you have redeemed us and you love and you are unfailing to your to the redeemed and that includes us in whatever walk we're in wherever we are you are there with us you are there with us and you are strong, and you are mighty, and you are glorious. And as we walk in our journey, as you write our story, your story, strengthen us, God. Strengthen us with your might, your love, wherever we are. And we thank you. I just want to sing that chorus one more time to you, Father. We, we know it. You know it, and we, and we know it just want to sing it one more time 
You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Before we close with the benediction, just want to remind everybody, I know we've got a few new faces I see here with, with COVID. We're asking everybody to head out this door. And if you have an offering or you filled out a connect card with us this morning, you can leave that in the basket by the door. But we're going to close with a benediction, a blessing from God's word from Hebrews chapter 13. And the word of God says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.